Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. We worship together at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings, both in person and online at youtube.com slash area10church. Kid-friendly programming is also available at the same time just down the street at 2810 at Community Gathering Place. We hope to see you at the Bird Theater soon. Now, on to this week's message. Have you ever met any bad people? Okay, you don't have to name them right now. That's fine. It's, it's weird, though, because when we meet people that we might judge in our own hearts, we meet and we, later we're like, oh, that guy was terrible, or that, she was awful, or whatever, whatever we might say. Um, it, it, it's weird because I don't know that our judgments are always you know, right on that stuff, and it's kind of hard to know. Like, we have some criteria that we might say, oh, this person was bad. But, but you know... The jury's out on a lot of that stuff. I, I always joke that when I when I meet someone and they said, "Oh, I got a divorce," I always hear that I'm. I, I, what I find out next is that I'm meeting the good person in the in the split. You know, like if the other person was terrible, I did I didn't get to meet them, but they were terrible, and I was okay. You know, and, and I understand that we probably do that with friendships. Oh, our friendship we're no longer friends, and they were terrible, and 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 I did these right things and. It's very difficult to judge that stuff well, to know kind of who's the good person, who's the bad person. And, the, and the, the challenge with it also is that everybody thinks they're the good person. Everybody's, you, you, you don't meet people who are like, actually, I'm a terrible person. I, it's good to meet you. You know, like, what do you do for a living? Yeah, that's what I do, and, I, and I'm awful. Like, you don't, you don't hear that very often. Even truly horrible people, right? And, and think about in the history of the world, like world leaders and people who had people slaughtered and, you know, meet Genghis Khan or Stalin, if you had met them, they'd be like, you know, I'm a homeowner and I pay my taxes and, you know, I, I, I try to do, I try to do what's right. You know, like, the, everybody thinks they're a good person. Everybody thinks that generally they're trying to do what's right and that you just, they're misunderstood, you know, whatever. Like, it's, it's weird. But some people are I guess truly horrible people, we just think it's somebody else. It's never us. So I want to talk about this idea of good people and bad people over the next couple weeks because in this series, we're starting um, Christmas time in the city, we're talking about Advent and looking forward to the birth of Christ that we're going to celebrate on Christmas Eve. And as, as, we, as we're in this season, I, I want to talk about um, who Jesus came for, like the impact of different groups of people when he was born. When he was born, like, there were groups of people that it, it moved them, it, it touched them, it had an impact on their lives. And I want to talk about the different kinds of, of, of people. Um, and and it, if you think back to the ancient world, there was a lot of things about it that was different than our world, right? When Jesus was born in, you know, 5 BC or whenever. The world was different. It's the Roman Empire there, the Middle East, that's different from us. That's thousands of years ago. It's different. They didn't have the things like electricity and all the things that we have in the modern world. They didn't have iPhones. Bless them. Uh, they, you know, they didn't, they didn't have a lot of these things that we have, and so it's very easy to think their world is so different than ours. But really, like, most of humanity's problems and our judgments and our issues and our struggles are basically the same over thousands of years. We're still kind of struggling with the same pride and jealousy and anger and lust and all the things. They just had different expressions in their culture at their time. So I think there actually are many things we can learn from from uh, them and, and what what did they do in their world and what were they struggling with and what were they told to do and how did they handle their stuff. 
and we can apply it to what we're struggling with now and how we can handle our stuff. So in this series for these four weeks, I want to talk about uh, four cities that represent groups of people that Jesus came for, that his birth had an impact on. Um, and, and I want to look at it through the lens of these four cities, uh, and that's what we call this series, Christmas Time in the City. Uh, Christianity was, and I learned this from uh, uh, sociologist Rodney Stark, he wrote this book called Cities of God, and, and Christianity was, when it began, an urban movement, because the world was a, a pretty urban place. You had cities, and then you had villages and like farmlands. You did not have the, you know, glorious modern perfection that is the American suburb. That had not been invented yet, right? So you had cities, you lived in a city, you used walls around it, whatever, or you had a little village with, like, farmland. And that's basically the world. And so um, Christianity begins as a very urban movement. It is, it is on the streets. It is house to house. And so I want to talk about, as, as our church being an urban church, I want to talk about cities and how, how we impact the city. And I want to talk about uh, what kind of cities Jesus would have had an impact on when he came. So today I want to start with um, the royal city of David that we, we sang about in the first song this morning. Uh, the royal city of David, the city of Jerusalem, which was a place Jesus spent some time at, and it's a place that Jesus loved, and it was full of people that Jesus cared about. Jerusalem is a fascinating place. Uh, I got to go there in 2014, Unlike any city in the world, I, I've just never seen anything like it. The, the, the mix of culture and, you know, sort of the food and the religious groups that are all together in one place, not always in, in, good, in harmony as we know, but it is a wild, interesting place. Um, and and, it, and in some ways, it, it, it always has been a very interesting place. It was uh, in Jesus' day when he, when he was born. Jerusalem was the center of the Jewish world, of, of their lives, of this entire religion, this entire nation of Israel, these people, their religious and spiritual life all centered around Jerusalem, and specifically um, the Mount Zion, specifically this big flat rock that is there on this hill, and on that stood the temple, um, and in that area, that is the heart of God's connection to people on earth, was that very holy, special place. And so Jerusalem in Jesus' day would have been filled with people who are very religious and religiously good people, like the people who try to follow God and they're trying to do what's right and they're following him, and that's all of Jerusalem. So what New York City is to, like, capitalism or what Vegas is to sin, Jerusalem was to religiously good people, okay? Maybe that sounds less fun to you than New York or Vegas. I don't know. Um, but there it was. And so Jerusalem was a very religious place with the temple and, and the worship and the way people would dress. And, and even you go there today, you see that. But it was also at this point when Jesus was born, it was part of the Roman Empire. And so you think about the glory of Rome and the big city of Rome and all the empire. And, and I don't know what that conjures up in your head. People wearing crowns of wreaths or togas or eating grapes or I don't know, whatever they're doing, but there's that. It's very, I don't know, gladiator, that kind of thing. Um, the Roman Empire is also, at this point, ruling Jerusalem. So you have all of the religious structure of Jerusalem, and then on top of that, you have Roman government. So you have 
uh, a palace that the, the, the king would live in, who's a, a, an underling for the Roman government. You have, you know, Hail Caesar and all of that kind of thing, right? And you have Roman guards that are going around, and they have to have a place to live and sleep and, and work. And so you have the Roman Empire with its roads and its horses and chariots and cavalry and, and all the pageantry of the Roman Empire. All of that is in place. And in, in, in some cases, there's a mix of it. At the temple in Jerusalem, they put a Roman eagle, a Roman seal, on the religious structure, on the temple, which is very offensive to the Jews. So you have very religious, what would have considered to be uh, the Israelites, to the Romans, the Israelites, the Jews of the day, would have been like backwoods country hick people. Uh, and th that's kind of how they would have thought of them in, in Jerusalem. And then, uh, then you have like Rome, who like keeps it classy, although if you've ever seen anything about ancient Rome, and all that classy. But that's... That's how it was. You have, you have this religious city, and you have a political uh, city overlaid on it during this period in Roman history known as the Pax Romana, where, they, where they're relatively peaceful while they sort of peacefully rule and occasionally oppress people. Um, so that, that's, that's what it is. And Jesus is born, and um, what I can tell you, we don't have a lot about what he says about Jerusalem, but what I can tell you about how Jesus feels about Jerusalem is he loves those people. He loves those people. And, and you can actually see it. And, and I want to read it to you. The, the, Jerusalem's filled with religiously good people, right? The, the Jews, and not just the Jews, but the most Jewish of the Jews, the most Israelite of the Israelites. The, like, people who are, who are about it are living there in the temple. And he isn't always in Jerusalem. Most of the time, uh, what we have recorded of Jesus, he's in northern Israel around Galilee. But he comes to Jerusalem a couple times. And... As he comes to Jerusalem, listen to what it says in Luke chapter 19. Luke records what this encounter was when Jesus comes to Jerusalem. Luke 19, let me read to you verse 41. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you. When your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. All right, out of context, it's like, what, what is he talking about? Well, I mean, if you, if you read into it, and scholars will all sort of point this out, he's saying something very prophetic. He's saying... Jerusalem, as he approaches the city, maybe you can see the city walls, you can see the gates he's about to walk into, and he goes, oh man, you guys just don't get it. Like, if you had known who I am and what I'm bringing, it would change things, but you're going to ignore me, you're going to ignore this, you're going to ignore that I have come to earth with this, and it's going to go badly for you, and he predicts what's going to happen, and what he predicts does happen. He says this in maybe 30-something A.D. or whatever. But in 70 A.D., the Roman Empire will get tired of Jerusalem and some sort of uprising there. And a ruler named Titus is going to come down there with an army. They're going to surround, he says, barricade Jerusalem is how he says it. They're going to surround Jerusalem and put it under siege in, in like April of, of the year 70. And uh, it's a bloodbath in Jerusalem. The groups, the religious group in the, in the city are going to fight against each other. This is all recorded by a historian, Josephus, who wrote out it later. Uh, the city's under siege. A bunch of people are going to flee down to the Red Sea to a, a, a place called Masada. And like a million Israelites are going to die in this thing. It, it's a horrible, 
uh, mess where they get sieged and things get destroyed. The temple, the, the, that main building, that gets destroyed. The city gets ransacked. It is a, a big mess. And, and on one hand, Jesus is just predicting that. He's saying, this is going to go very badly for you. But I, I want you to notice what it said at the beginning of that. When he approaches the city, he weeps over it. He's not like, this is going to go bad for you, and I'm so sick of you guys, and I can't wait to see what you get what's coming to you. He weeps over the city. He cares about it so much. And not just cares about, like, the building and the roads. and the, He cares about the people. And when he's approaching, he's like, oh, guys, no, this is what's going to happen. And I want you to get it, and you're not going to get it, and you're going to miss this. And he knows it's going to end badly. And I... I've often thought it would be cool to know the future, like Jesus does here, to be prophetic, to be able to look down the road and go, oh, I can see what's coming. I don't think I could handle it. I don't think any of us could, really. And I think this is why God doesn't let us know the future. We know something's coming, but we don't know what. And he doesn't let us know because it's, it can be so hard to take to see what, what's coming and, 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 and very hard to handle. So he sees that and he weeps over the people of Jerusalem who are, in a, in a sense, they are the good people, in, in one sense. Um, the, the, the people Jesus so frequently interacts when he goes to the city in Jerusalem, he interacts with people that are listed in the Gospels as the Pharisees, the Sadducees, or the teachers of the law, religious teachers. And they're so often in the Gospels because they oppose Jesus, we think of them as the bad guys. But if you had met them in their day, you would not think of them as the bad guys you would have thought of them as the best religious people that you know. They do the right things. They give money away. They, 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 um, they are moral in, in so many ways. They observe the laws. They, they, they try to be good. They know the Bible. They know the Scripture. They've got it memorized. Like, if you had met them, you'd be like, man, they're serious. These people are really about it. Um, if, if you met a Pharisee, you'd be like, this is... You know, if you're a woman who meets this Pharisee guy, you're like, I, I would take him home to mama because he's great. And if you meet this woman who's been steeped in that tradition, you're like, oh, she's virtuous. She's wonderful. I love her. Like, good, good people. And yet, among the good, there's a downside, right? And I don't, I'm not, I don't want to be cynical because we're so used to, especially with modern movies and television, all, we're so used to telling stories of good characters that are actually terrible. You know, we, we've got this narrative. We, we don't tell Superman anymore. We tell, oh, here's a good person, but they're actually, oh, here's the hero is a serial killer. That kind of thing is what we do now. But even among good people, there's a downside. There's a chink in the armor. There's a, well, they look good on the outside, but in reality, they're not good. And you don't even need me to give you examples. You can think of this in media. You can think of it in sports, in politics, in religion. You can think of people who you thought were good and put them up on a pedestal, and they fell from that pedestal because we found out they just weren't that good. It is not that hard. It's hard, but not that hard to appear to be good in our culture. There are filters for this. You can look a certain way. It is much harder to actually be good to be a good, virtuous person. And, and, and so Jesus um, comes to Jerusalem and he loves the people who, you know, a, a, a appear to be good. Um, now, I think you get a glimpse of what kind of people you, you had in Jerusalem. It, again, in Luke 18, uh, if I go back one chapter, 
Jesus tells this parable, and I want you to hear um, who he's describing, and I want to tell you a little bit of how it would have landed on the audience. So he tells this story. Listen, Luke 18, verse 9. He also told this parable to some who, now this is the good people, listen, to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. And here's the parable he tells. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Let me stop right there. Jesus tells a story. A parable is a story. It's not a true thing that happened. He's just, it's an illustration. So he's telling this story, and Luke, who's writing this down, tells us why Jesus is telling the story and who he's talking to. And he's telling the story to people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. So religiously good people who think they are right and good, they're like, I'm a good person. Aren't you? Yes, I'm a good person. You're a good person. We're all good people. But treated others with contempt so that this is, he's speaking to and pointing out a crowd of people who think they're good and think there are others that are just not. I'm doing it right. Y'all are doing it wrong. That's who he's talking to. Certainly, there are modern parallels to that, right? Um, This is is the setting up this idea that there are good people and, and bad people. And in in his, his the crowd who heard this, they would have understood what he's talking about because good people in Jerusalem in the first century are Jews. Bad people are the Romans who happen to be living here and occupying us. They're they're the horrible people. So we're good. They're dirty and bad and pagans. And, uh, all right, we can. Let's 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 go. All right, thank you. Amen. Uh, so uh, it's easy to it's easy to wherever you're at, there's uh, easy to find a crowd where you look down on them and, and go, "We're the good people; they're the bad people." And Jesus is talking to those people, and he says, "There's a Pharisee and a tax collector that are going to pray." So the Pharisee is uh, in in the audience; they're going to hear that as, "Oh, that's the good person," and the tax collector, they're the bad person. Tax collectors are Jews who work for the Romans and extort people. So they collect taxes. Now, you are working on, think of it this way, you are working on behalf of the occupying army, right? And people don't like that. So Jews would have looked at fellow Jews who are tax collectors as traitors, the turncoats, these, these like, ugh. So when Jesus sets up this parable of Pharisee and tax collectors, like, good guy, bad guy. That's how they, that's how they would have heard that. Uh, continuing on. Uh, verse 11. The Pharisee, okay, he prays in the temple. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. This guy, who you would have thought of as a good guy, uh, the Pharisee, he it's weird to me. He's giving his resume to God in his prayer, right? He's like, God, um, you know what I do, God? Like, he's telling God like God doesn't know. Like, I fast a lot. I tithe. I give my money. I give, I, I, like, I'm, I'm one of the good ones. And I'm not saying those are bad things to do. Those are good things to do. But he's, see, you can see how he's justifying who he is. I thank you, God, that I am not like this guy. Literally, he plays the comparison game. I'm not like this other guy, and I'm not like 
this whole host of other people, the unjust, the adulterers, and you could just throw in whoever you want there, murderers and whatever. Like, I'm not one. Thank, thank you that I didn't get to be, that I'm not like one of those people. I'm a good one, and look how good I am. And he's kind of asking God to grade him on a curve, right? right? Isn't that what it is? We all know this. We, we've done this in school. Am I good or bad? Did I get an A or an F? Well, as long as I got more of a good grade than the other person, then, I, then that counts as an A, right? Like, I'm on the curve here. That's what he's asking for. And gosh, when you see it there, it's kind of gross that he's doing this. But I think this instinct to compare ourselves to others and to justify ourselves before others shows up all over the place, not just in a religious culture like that. It shows up in our culture. It's called Instagram or X or whatever we're using, right? It, it's, it is, look at me and look at how I'm right and the other people are not. Now, we don't say it that way. We just support the thing that shows that we're right. You, you see this all over. We'll change our social media profile to support whatever the cause is of the day. Whatever the thing is, I'm this, you're that, I'm going to support the thing, and I'm going to be, I'm going to be about it, and, and I'm going to let you know that I'm about the current popular thing. And those are just little ways of us showing that we are the good people. And we don't say it that way. We don't show up on social media and say, I'm better than you. It's more of an unspoken thing. But we are a lot like the Pharisee. We're just about it and about some different kinds of things. The measuring stick of what is good has changed, and it, and it changes constantly in our culture. So that's how he shows up in that situation. Now listen to how the tax collector shows up. Verse 13, but the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, and Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to the house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The guy everyone thought would be the bad guy in the story, the tax collector, he knows he's not great. He knows what he does for a living. He knows extortion is part of it. And he is convicted. And he talks to God, and he just says, God, have mercy on me because he knows he done messed up. And, and he, he, he's talking to God, and it says he's beating his breast. It's hard for us to imagine, but just like, oh, I am, I am so messed up, God. I have blown it. I am, I am not a good person. God, have mercy on me. Now, it's easy for us to be skeptical, because what we want to say in this age of positive self-esteem, we read that and we go, does God really want us to, like, beat ourselves up over how we're not a good person? Like, do I have to, like, whip myself or hit my chest or whatever? Like, that seems like a lot. It seems like a little much. Does he really want us to, to be sort of groveling like that? But I understand, but let's just take God out of the equation for a second. Whether you believe in God setting right and wrong, even if you're, you're like, sort of agnostic on the God question, the truth is... You all believe in something that you should do and not do. Every one of us. We have some sort of code. We might not call it that. We have some sort of moral, these are good things to do, these are not good things to do. And all of us have broken it, no matter what your code is. You're like, my code is to have no code. Doesn't matter. You still think there are things that are right, things are wrong, and you have done wrong. All of us have done it at some point. It, 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 that has happened. 
And you may not feel guilty about that today, and I'm not trying to make you feel guilty, but it doesn't mean you aren't guilty on some level of doing immoral things or have done some things wrong. And we, we try to be like, um, we're going to, you know, think positive and ignore the haters and may, maybe read some meme that's going to make us feel better about it, but come on. There is real hurt in the world, and the truth is, you cause some of it. Now, you might think you're the hero of a story, and a lot of us, maybe we are heroes of some stories, but in somebody's story, you're a villain. Somebody out there. And that's just the reality of, of the human existence. Even if you're one of the good people, you're a sinful, broken person. And so Jesus challenges us by giving this example of this broken guy who actually acknowledges it. There's, there's the deal. He, this guy... Um, acknowledges, and he comes before God in, in humility. So what does this mean for us as we approach Christmas? For those who are in Jerusalem who are the good people, and I would say for those of us in Richmond today uh, who think of ourselves maybe as a good person, I think this should challenge us a bit. I want to give you two thoughts and then we're done. Uh, number one is this. Notice what kind of game you're, of good and bad you are really playing. Uh, a great book I read last couple years was the book by Greg Lukianoff and Jonathan Haidt. It's the book called The Coddling of the American Mind. And they trace back over the last decade or so. If you want to know why, in some ways, you think culturally things have gone nutty, they kind of trace it back through the university system that they both worked in. And uh, over the last 2012, 2013, like, they trace it back and they go, there are basically three lies that we tell young people coming up through high school and into college and is now spilling over into adulthood that we tell, that we believe, and those lies that we believe, and these are not religious people writing this book, I'll tell you this. Those lies that we believe um, are the opposite of what you would want to believe for good, good, solid mental health. Like, we are wrecking people by telling them these things. And one of the three that they say, the, the lie, a lie that we tell, tell to people, is that the world is full of good people and bad people. That's how we tell people, this is what it is. There's good and there's bad. So there's just two sides of everything, and we, and we do this with everything and everyone. There's, there's good people and bad people. Israel, Palestine, there's good and bad there, right? Uh, Russia, Ukraine, there's good and bad there. Uh, sports teams, there's whatever your NFL team is, and the Cowboys, there's good and bad there. Like, we all know, I'll let you decide what you think that is, but we all know there's good and bad there. There's Republicans, there's Democrats, there's, you know, there's the good people, and then there's the bad people. Always, this is what we do in society, and the, the truth is, and I always go back to Sultan Easton's line, who says the, li the line of good and evil runs straight through the human heart, which means the capacity for those things is in all of us. It's not just we're good and they're not, like it's in us. And so we need to, we need to reckon with that. We are all more complicated than just the good or the bad people. The scripture tells us that all have sinned and fallen short, which means we are capable of some dark stuff. And, good news, we are capable of really good things. And when God, we, we give our lives to Christ, the Holy Spirit lives inside us, we can be redeemed and God can form things in our character. And he can even work not on just good behaviors of us, but he can work on our hearts so that our heart desires to do good. Like, it, it, it's powerful. Um, so when I say, notice the game you're playing with good and bad, what I mean is pay attention to what you think is truly good and bad. 
And I think this shows up at Christmas, too, because we tell the story at Christmas, especially with kids. There's this guy, Santa, and he brings gifts. But who does he bring it to in particular? Good kids. What happens to the bad kids? Cole. I don't know why Cole became a thing. I don't, that's probably not even environmentally friendly anymore, but he's handing that out. Um, but he's making a list, and he's checking it twice, and he's going to find out who's naughty and nice, right? Like, no, song lyricist, no. Stop with the false binary. That is not how humanity works. We are not all good and all bad, and we just get rewards based on that kind of system. What does Jesus actually say? He says about this text lector um, that basically he recognizes he's wrong, and he's humil- he, he has humility. Jesus points out humility. This is the key. Good people are not good until we start to acknowledge God and recognize our dependence on him. Humility is key. God is unimpressed with how good we think we are. He is unimpressed with what kind of car you drive, what kind of house you live in, where you went to school. What God cares about is your heart and who you truly are in in your core. And the way to be good is to get our hearts right. Is to get our heart right and get hearts right and aligned with God. And I, and I'll add this and this isn't the only thing, this is just a thing, because I would say Pharisees have done this, but we need to tweak it. Number two is this, the way to be truly good in part involves giving things away. And Jesus says this at other times, Matthew 6, he'll talk about where your treasure is, your heart will be also. There's an alignment between how you spend your money and what you do with it and how you give things away and where your heart ultimately lands. Those things are uh, closely connected. So we've, we've talked about that, that, that idea a lot over the years. I don't want to dive too far into it, but just at a very simple level, when we talk about Jesus being born, we say, for God to love the world, that he gave his only son. There's something about love in us that overflows in giving. When we love someone, we want to give to them. And you see that at Christmas as well, right? When we love, you love that girl with all your heart, you want to give her a ring. When you love that kid, you want to give them the toy that they want. When you love that dad, you want to give him that package of golf lessons that is at Golf Tech right now that they just recently ran a Black Friday special on where you can get a package of golf lessons so he can improve his golf game. I'm just, these are just examples, guys. It's just illustrative purposes. Um, when we love, we want to give. That's very natural. Christmas is a very natural thing. Love flows into giving. We don't give to earn love talked about that. We give because we are loved, because we have love. Now, we've done this over the years as a church. For the past 15 years, we have done at the Advent season, we have taken up a special offering where we give money above what we normally give to the church. And we go, you know, Christmas season's coming. This time when people spend a lot of money on gifts, we're going to maybe spend a little less. And instead, we're going to give Jesus a birthday gift, in a sense, and we are going to give to a special offering. Over the years, we've given to projects in Haiti, in Vietnam, in Turkey. We have, uh, we have done loads of projects here in the city around foster care, um, around food scarcity, different things. Um, and, and we have raised thousands of dollars each year at Advent on top of our normal giving to bless the community. And we feel like this is a way that we show love, and this is a way that we, in a sense, give Jesus a, a present because it's his birthday that we celebrate at Christmas. And so we do this. And this year, I'm challenging you to do the same thing. Give through our website, through the app, um, in these giving boxes here, if you want to designate it that way. Give above what you normally give for our Advent project. This year, we're focused on the city of Richmond. 
and projects that we want to do here. We call this Christmas time in the city. Uh, and there are three groups we're working with this year that do great work here in the city. And you're going to hear from all three of those groups in the next three weeks. Uh, one's called Rise Richmond. Um, you'll hear from them in a second. Um, and, uh, we'll tell their whole story. The second one that you hear from next week is um, Generosity Feeds. And we are going to be doing a meal packing uh, project throughout 2024 for the whole year, partnering with Cherry Elementary. And so they're the probably the closest, as the crow flies, the closest elementary school to us here. Um, uh, do crows fly like that? I don't even know. Do we even have crows? I don't know. But that's what we say. Um, you can walk there, too, if you don't want to fly on the back of a crow. Um, it's close, is my point. Uh, and then, um, third, we're going to work with Habitat through Humanity on a faith uh, bunch of faith communities coming together to build. The cool thing I like to build a house uh, to, ha to handle housing scarcity in Richmond. The cool thing I like about these things is these are all Richmond-focused, and they are all things we are not just going to give money towards this month, but we are actually going to go work in and work on in the first half of 2024, and we've got dates coming up for all of that. Um, to start with, uh, I want you to hear from uh, Rise Richmond, Jackie Griggs. Uh, works for them as the director of development. Uh, we're going to show you a little video about what they do, and then I want you to hear from her. So watch this. Together with families, neighbors, and community partners, Rise Richmond is creating a world where students, especially black students from Richmond's East End, have access to learning opportunities that equip them to flourish. Rise After School provides a nurturing environment for kindergarten through eighth graders develop a strong foundation of identity, resilience, and agency. At Rise Academy, our fully accredited independent high school, students ascend new heights on their journey toward academic and personal success. And at Rise Labs, teens and young adults build skills to meet their professional goals through hands-on learning, work experience, and job coaching. This Christmas season, we invite you to invest in the bright future of our city students. Join us as we bring the future within reach, matching students' God-given potential with opportunity. Hi, Jackie. Welcome. Hi, Chris. Thanks for having me. Uh, Jackie, um, we, we're, we're excited to partner with you guys. We have worked with the, the organization Rise Richmond used to be called CHAT. And we have worked with chat a bit over the years. So can you start there and tell us what have you been doing? You've been there six years, but what has the organization been doing for the last decade or so? Yeah, the organization has been working in Richmond, um, primarily focused on serving East End students with a variety of learning opportunities. So the three core program areas that you just got a glimpse of in that video, um, I'll share again, are our after-school program, which was really the founding program of CHAT, um, bringing students into a safe place to grow spiritually, to grow emotionally, to have homework help in the out-of-school time, um, primarily Monday through Thursday after school. Um, our high school, Rise Academy, 
um, is focused on 9th through 12th graders. Um, it's a place where we really get to go deep because we have so much time um, to sew into the promise of our 58 students at that school. Um, and, you know, I really think because we can go so deep there, it's often where we get to see the Lord most at work. Um, and when we talk about um, the way that we are working to um, help students flourish the way that God intends. Um, a story that our principal just shared recently um, was that this year we have a new student at Rise Academy. Um, that student came in with the lowest GPA that she has ever seen. It was below one. Um, and the student's previous school had really written them off. Um, and you know their family had kind of written them off too because um, they, they weren't hearing things about the student's potential. Um, and in the first quarter at Rise Academy, that student is on honor roll um, and is playing on our basketball team, which is currently 5-0. and um, And so that student is getting to experience what success looks like. Um, and she shared how that student is forming really meaningful relationships with their peers, but also with the adults at the school. Um, and through those relationships, um, that extra academic support, um, the chance to um, share about the love of the Lord um, and encourage them to grow socially, socially, emotionally, um, give them tools for challenges with behavior. Um, it really is like ultimately a miracle, right? Like that version of change. Um, the last thing that we do um, is through our labs work, um, which really provides job training skills for teens. Um, so ultimately, through all of that, it's our hope that we're getting to launch students into adulthood, into their next phase um, with the encouragement, the skills, um, and the relationships that are going to help them flourish the way that God intends. Awesome. That's awesome. Um, you guys rebranded to a name from Chat to Rise Richmond, which is a name we've always sort of known and loved around here. And uh, so I, I, what, what's, what's behind that? Yeah, so um, Chad had been around for 20 years. We just celebrated our 20th birthday. Um, and in 20 years, um, our organization has changed, but also the city of Richmond has changed, particularly the East End. Um, so Chad stood for Church Hill Activities and Tutoring. Um, and Church Hill looks really, really different today. Um, and you know, at, when Chat was founded, all of our students were walking to our programs. Um, and that just isn't the case any, anymore. Um, we have a really robust transportation system that helps them get to us. Um, but that name, Church Hill, felt like it didn't um, resonate, particularly with our students and families. Um, and also, our programs have grown from just that after-school program to an academy and labs. Um, and we felt like activities and tutoring wasn't really capturing the breadth of the way that we're able to build relationships with students and families in Richmond. Um, we found ourselves kind of over explaining the name and the logo um, and really wanted to take the step to evaluate first the language we use to talk about ourselves as an organization as a whole um, to make sure we had a shared mission, a shared set of values. Um, and when we came up with, you know, that updated mission statement talking about cultivating the God-given potential of students through learning opportunities, 
particularly black students in Richmond's East End, um, looking at our updated values and how those play out in our work. Um, after we saw all that, it was really clear that didn't match our name or our visual identity. Um, so we did a second set of work to update that and got to launch it this August. Um, the whole process took about 18 months. And when, uh, if you told me it was gonna take 18 months, I would have been a little disappointed <laughs> at the start of the process. Um, that's a lot of focus groups and stuff, it's brutal. Exactly, yeah, yeah, and, so. but that's what made it successful, sure, right? Sure. We had talked to so many people and um, I am particularly proud of the voice of students um, that is reflected in the name of the brand that we have. Um, it's streetwear inspired mm -hmm. and when I walk around and see our students in hoodies and polos and just excited about the vibrant colors, um, and rise is a word that is simple enough for a kindergartner to understand, but has a lot of deep meaning um, as students grow and get ready to launch. And um, seeing them embrace it and be so excited about it um, has been really exciting cool. through the transition. That's great. Well, um, we, we have known about you guys and, and we've had some people tutor there and just volunteer yeah. over the years, sometimes ongoing things, sometimes one-time events. Mm -hmm. What is the way when we raise money this December and then we want to plug in with you in January, where can we plug in? What can we do? We are so grateful for the chance to share with y'all this morning um, and for the generosity that I know um, you're going to be inspired to extend um, both through your offering and through your time. Um, so the offering to rise this season is specifically going to go to our primary facility. Um, we partner with Carlisle Avenue Baptist Church. Um, it is an aging church building um, that has some great classroom space. We've been able to be there for a while. Um, and in the past year, we have taken on all of the maintenance and upkeep for that building. Um, and it has been a pretty huge undertaking. Um, and it has a lot of um, opportunities to make it feel warm and welcoming and reflect the new branding for students. So we're gonna have some painting opportunities in the building um, to make sure that it's safe and welcoming for students, that it reflects the new brand colors. Um, we're also gonna have, depending on weather, some landscaping opportunities around the building. Um, that takes a lot of energy and effort, both from a paid team and a volunteer team to make go um, throughout the year. Um, and finally, we do have some closets of old church materials um, that are going to get tidied up, cleaned out, um, and repurposed into more usable space for our students. Um, and we're really, really excited to invite y'all out to come serve in those ways. Um, what I love about projects like this is that it really is a chance to be on site um, for you to get a feel for the space and the work that happens um, in like that one-time way, right? Right? There's so many ways to get involved. Being that consistent um, mentor at after school program is huge, um, but not everyone can commit to every sure. week for a year. Um, this is really a first touch point. Um, so both the offering and our service is going to go toward our main programming space and making sure that that's safe and accessible for students. All right. So we have dates already picked out in the middle of January uh, on some Saturdays to go serve. You, we'll, we'll get you a sign-up link for that if you want to jump in. If you, you're a small group, your formation group, you can do it together. If you just want to sign up as an individual or bring a friend, uh, we'll, we'll kind of be pushing that over the next six weeks or so to get ready to serve with them. And then um, 
and then and then we'll start we'll start there and then see where it goes. But thank you for uh, spending time with us on Sunday morning for the work that you're doing over there. It's fantastic. Uh, we're gonna wrap up. Um, just think and pray, guys, as we do this. And um, uh, I'm excited to see what God does through this. I'm gonna pray for you, and then uh, we'll we'll move into communion here together. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for Jackie and her willingness to serve in that community and serve that mission for the last six years. And I pray as they gone through the rebrand and they've moved to um, a, kind of a new way of, of a new look over there. Um, I pray that uh, it's awesome and that we're able to be a part of it and uh, really help serve uh, kids in the city. Um, God, uh, move in the hearts of everyone in this room that we can uh, find out the right way to contribute and be a part of this thing. And uh, I pray you multiply their efforts and, and, and bless their work over, the, over in, in the East End and uh, help it to be an awesome thing that ultimately brings more kids into the kingdom of God and introduces more uh, kids and families to you. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. Amen.